0: Kim Schofield is a woman who wears many hats, transformational coach and leadership trainer, lupus health advocate, and national and local spokeswoman, to name just a few. It's remarkable when you consider that Kim has been living with lupus for over 15 years. In 2015, she received the Lupus Foundation of America's Education, Support, and Advocacy Award for her work on behalf of the Georgia Chapter of the Foundation. Kim also spearheaded the movement that led to Georgia's first annual Lupus Awareness Day. More recently, she's joined a coalition of advocates who are rallying for a strong national paid family leave policy. I am so happy to have her on the show. Joining us today from her home in Atlanta, Georgia is Kim Schofield. Kim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much, Jenna. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Tell us a little bit about your background to give the listeners some context
1: here. Yes, yeah, so I'm originally a native New Yorker, but now I have adopted the whole sweet tea movement. So <laughs> I um, abandoned the cold and moved here in about for about 26 years. Uh-huh. And my work in social justice and advocacy just came at a place in my life where I just have to be a part of the solution and rather being part of a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So having been diagnosed with lupus and not knowing much about the disease or didn't know anybody that had it, I knew immediately that I just couldn't sit back and ask the questions, why me? I had to find out what I could do in, through, and beyond lupus. And in that journey, really, I discovered not only some passion and purpose, but that there was just a gap in so many areas that people living with a chronic disease experience mm-hmm. and we just don't know that there's a voice mm-hmm. so as a single mom when I got diagnosed my daughter was eight years old mm-hmm. and she learned to live in the lupus world mm-hmm. but I knew that I had to create a lasting legacy for her to follow to be able to use her voice across many spectrums
0: mm-hmm. and is she your only
1: child she's my one and only one and done <laughs> One and done. I like that.
0: Well, for our listeners who don't know, can you explain how lupus affects the body?
1: So lupus is an autoimmune disease. It's kind of like your body attacks itself. So it is a disease that really does affect your major organs, like your kidneys, heart, lungs, systems in your body. And it is one of the diseases that if you think of it as a normal, healthy body, That when you get a cold or bacteria or some kind of of germ, immediately the antibodies in your body start to rev up and they say, oh, wow, there's something foreign in here. Mm -hmm. Let's go look for where it is and let's fight it and get it out of here. Well, in a person living with lupus, not only do they wake up and all of these antibodies, they bind together and attack the virus or something foreign in your body. After that, they don't know that their job is done. So they kind of look for other ways and things that they can attack. Thus, when they attack the systems in your body, it creates a lot of inflammation and just wear and tear on the body of fatigue and other symptoms that cause lupus to really destroy its own body. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that you live every day waking up and feeling like you have the flu.
0: Oh, my gosh. And you want to
1: pull the covers over your head and Mm -hmm. just turn the lights off and say, hey, not today, guys.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So the body is overproducing. It's like the energized Bunny. It just keeps going and going, looking for things that it can attack.
0: Wow. So how do you combat that? Is there medication you can take? How do you manage that?
1: Well, uh, you know, a lot, there is no one specific test for lupus, mm-hmm. nor is there a particular medicine, a one size fits all. So we borrow a lot of medicines from other diseases like arthritis mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes more aggressive uh, medications that really do help suspend the activity in your body. So we will borrow from some cancer drugs. And some pretty aggressive drugs, a lot of time you're being treated with an anti-malarial drug called Plaquenil,
2: Hmm.
1: and prednisone is another catch-all that's normal among people living with lupus. Mm -hmm. But in 2010, we did get the first drug approved by the FDA for treatment for lupus called Benlista. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing about Benlista, that was the first time we had a drug specifically addressing the needs of people living with lupus in 57 years. I wow. mean, actually, well, it was over 50 years. Actually, Eisenhower was president the last time we got some help. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, Well, how many people does lupus, this affect? I, well, according to the Lupus Foundation of America, there are 1.6 million people living with lupus. Mm-hmm. And in Georgia, the Lupus Foundation says there are about fifty five to sixty thousand people living with lupus. My goodness. That's a lot. And so it primarily yeah, and, and the interesting thing is it primarily affects women between the ages of eighteen to forty five. Right in that childbearing mm-hmm. years when you're writing the heart of, of making your career and trying to plan a family and other things, for some reason it impacts that audience. African American Uh, Latinos, Asian, Native Americans are high at risk of getting lupus. Mm -hmm. Um, But men and children do get lupus as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And has your daughter been tested for this? So my daughter, (laughs) she has
1: not been tested. But there have been some triggers that we do watch Uh um, because her dad has uh, rheumatoid arthritis, Uh and her mom has lupus. So we kind of, she kind of looks and says, "Wow, I thanks guys. I, you could have <laughs> given me a lot of things, but this wasn't on my list." So, and ninety percent of what she has seen me go through, if some changes ever happen in her body, she is more than equipped physically and emotionally to deal with this because she understands that lupus, in it of itself, does not kill you. It's a uh, bodily system that actually right. impacts you. It's So you can go on to live a life that's full of purpose and joy and keep it moving. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think she's okay in that realm of whatever life throws at her.
0: So I'm assuming that your advocacy work for paid family leave has evolved out of your own experience of the challenges you've faced as far as how lupus has affected your ability to work. Can you speak to that issue?
1: Yes. I was, prior to getting lupus, I was actually, had been working for a number of years. I owned a business when I lived in Boston several years ago. And when I transitioned and came to Atlanta, I was working in my job for about five years, just, you know, kind of living that American dream, the job, the house and child in private school. Mm-hmm. And then I got diagnosed with lupus. Mm-hmm. And immediately, because I didn't manifest symptoms on the outside, meaning I didn't look sick, you know, it was very hard for my employers to accept this as a real disease.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: so ultimately, after three months of being diagnosed, they told me things like, well, you don't look sick, you must party all night. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Wow. And I used to drive an hour and a half to commute to get to work. And by the time I would get there... Jenna, I was exhausted. I would pull up in the parking lot and fall asleep. And so I lost immediately my health insurance. I lost the ability to make a, a living. I lost, uh, there were just a lot of losses behind getting a disease that no one really knew about. There was no treatment There was really no social support for the disease. And I just found myself saying, wow, I I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to college. I've been working for a while. I pay my taxes. I do these things, and all of a sudden I got sick. And at that tipping point, it was very hard for me to work 40 hours after being diagnosed. The fatigue, the stress, it just became too much for me. So I, I had a challenge of trying to find a job or a career that would allow me some flexibility because I had a disease that was very inconsistent.
0: And at that point, you were working in a full-time 40-hour-a-week job. Did you leave that job?
1: Well, they actually fired me. Oh, they fired you. And they fired me. They said, well, they said that I no longer could do the job and that I didn't look sick. They thought that I just did not want to work despite all the medical evidence that I had And I came out for short-term disability for a minute. And then that time, they just decided, hey, you know, we just have to let her go. And so, you know, again, being looking at that and saying, wow, all I did was get sick. You know, I'm college educated. I was young. I was in my 30s. I had the rest of my life to live. And now you're telling me I'm no longer part of society or the workforce. Wow. Because I can't do it every day consistently. So I just could not fathom what was going on that people lack the capacity or empathy to understand that no one wakes up one day in their life and say, hey, I want a chronic disease. I didn't raise my hand. I didn't right. sign up for this. But there was no protection. So living with lupus, never hearing the disease, I felt isolated and alone for about six months. And I said, you know, I can't be the only person living with this disease. There's got to be others. And so I wrote my story up. I put it in the local DeKalb County, Georgia newspaper, Crossroad News. And I asked if anyone knows about this disease, is a caregiver or is living with this disease, meet me at my church. And 65 people showed up. Wow. And at that particular time, I was like, okay, this is a problem. This is no longer just about you. Um, this see. is a problem is that no one cares about these 65 people who were young, who had come out of work, who couldn't provide for their family, but they were caught in the gap where they couldn't get any type of health insurance or any type of support. Mm -hmm. But they still had the rest of their lives ahead of them. Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't. It was unfathomable to me. So just to be clear,
0: your employers, at any time, did they sit you down and say, look, we want to work with you. Maybe you can work part time. Maybe we can work something. None of that happened.
1: No. No, that wasn't even an issue on the table. It was either an all or nothing. I mean, again, I was very consistent in my role at that company. We had a great working relationship but you got sick.
0: And how long had you, you know, worked with, there? Over five years. Tell us about the coalition that you were involved with and how you sort of moved through getting involved with advocating for paid family leave.
1: So I can tell you how I got involved with 9 to 5, Winning Justice for Working Women. I was actually working at another location, another a company that was a medical society. And what happened was that I have a state issued handicap tag mm-hmm. for parking purposes because I'm very photosensitive to sun. So there are times where, just to park my car and walk into a store, if it's too bright, I will go into a lupus flare. So I have to reserve my energy levels. So I have a state issued handicap. That, you know, I met all the requirements from my doctor and I've had it for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working at this company and I was in the probation period Mm -hmm. and it was the first 90 days about my 70th day. There was an email that was circulated in the company about, does anyone know whose car is this car? And it turned out that it was my car. I mean, again, I had displayed my handicap sign. Mm-hmm. And the HR person confronted me in the hall. And I said, yeah, that's my car. And I said, is there a problem? And so she's like, no, I just want to know why you have a handicap sticker. And oh. I said, excuse me? She said, I want to know why you have a handicap sticker. And I said, you know, legally, you can't ask me to disclose the nature of my... She's like, well, I, I mean... I." And the sticker, I got it out of my car. I said it has my name on it. I have a state number on it, an ID number. So I'm not sure what you're asking me. She's like, well, um, we need to know why you have a handicap sticker. And having to disclose that in a hallway. And she was, I mean, the doors of everyone's office was open. And she was confronting me in a hallway about an invisible disability. Wow. Because she didn't, I didn't look sick to her. Mm -hmm. So needless to say i was in the 90-day probationary period and i could not i just didn't feel comfortable working in that environment knowing that's how they were treating me and i end up going to meet with my senator and my senator said you know georgia is a right to work state kim i know this was not fair but you're not going to get anything done at the legislative area but here's an organization." that I think you should check out and talk with. And when I spoke and met with members at nine to five, I knew immediately that this was a perfect organization that gets things done, promotes family work values, and really does understand workplace justice and to work in the workplace that does not really value anybody that Mm -hmm. has anything unfamiliar, sickness or needing time to care for loved ones or equity and pay, you know, it was just a lot of issues that I saw that 9 to 5 addressed and felt like this was a great fit for me.
0: And so you've done quite a bit of public speaking on this issue, as I understand it. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I believe that if we don't use the voice, then we lose the power. And some things are worth standing up saying, this is not right. With the family care and family paid leave, we're not asking for any new policies. We're asking to utilize what's already in place. Well, and let's so talk about it- that.
0: Tell me what, what is already in place. I mean, I, I think it varies from state to state, right? I know that everybody is fairly familiar with Family Medical Leave Act, but that's the only, and that's a federal Family Medical Leave Act that applies to
1: all workers. With FMLA, yeah. you, have to be, you have to have a period of where you're sick for three days. before that actually kicks in. Whereas the family care act is different because this allows people that already have their paid sick days to use their sick sick days to care for a child or relative, uh, someone that needs care. And just allows me to, instead of saying and calling and making this scenario saying that I'm sick, it allows me some transparency to say my child is sick and I'm going to need to stay home with them. It allows a person to use their earned sick days to care for people. It defines the definition of family, meaning that if you are caring for someone that you are claiming on your taxes, this bill applies to you. And what it did was it also expanded the definition for, let's say, grandparents that are raising Mm -hmm. uh, grandchildren Mm -hmm. to have access to the Family Care Act. So Mm -hmm. we're not adding any new sick time to the employers. This is already what's in place. The minimum is a five, well, the maximum is five days. So imagine if I have five days already available to me, why would I not be allowed to use them at the discretion of caring for a sick child or an aging parent or someone that has some type of disease that needs help? Five days is nothing. Five days is nothing. You know, you can't say I'm exploiting a system because they're my days. And I understand we get a lot of pushback from businesses that don't want state mandates on them. But the provisions that the business community had asked for, which was limiting the number of days, we've done that. Mm -hmm. So we have really met the needs of every person or legislators that have questions. And we've made the case. And the Family Care Act, we've been working on, this is our fourth year for the Family Care Act. And the good news is that you know, we have been successful, it's a very bipartisan piece of legislation. Um, We have gotten out of the Senate, it passed out of Senate, but we had some challenges getting it out of house and trying to get it on the floor for a vote. So now we're asking for this bill to get out of committee and get on the floor so we can vote on this. Mm -hmm. But we feel very confident this year that this is going to be our year to pass the Family Care Act in Georgia.
0: It seems like such a small thing to ask for, five days. Am I missing something here? Is that it?
1: No, no, you're you're not.
0: So are you saying that as it stands now in Georgia, anyone who already has five sick days (laughs) a year can only use them for themselves?
1: Depending on how each company is set up. Mm-hmm. You can use your PTO, pay mm-hmm. time off. Right. And some employers will allow you to use that at your discretion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But a bulk of employers don't give any time off.
2: Okay.
1: And no you sick have days, to take mean, everything so as if... a, no sick days, I'm right. sorry. Okay. And yes, and you have to take them without pay. I see. Then there's a portion that have paid leave, but you have to use them on yourself. You can't use them for any other reason. So if my child gets sick, I have to call out and right. take that as an unpaid sick day or send my child to school sick.
0: Wow. I knew that the situation was bleak, but I didn't know it was quite that bad. I mean, that just seems so b be- Five days. I mean, and look, let's be honest. A company's bottom line is going to be affected by absences, regardless. So if you can't support your employees, when they really have to have time off, productivity is going to be affected as well.
1: So absolutely. um, Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it from a practical standpoint, if I can't work, if I'm losing a day's pay, or multiple days pay, then how do I pour back into the economy? At the end of the week, well, I've lost a day's pay, so now I've got bills. Wouldn't it be better to allow a person to use that sick time and so that we keep the economy flowing? From a person who lives with a chronic disease, I'm already sick. I'm already frustrated because I got sick and I can't drive myself to a doctor. And now I've got to pull my daughter out of her job where she's losing a day's pay to go take me to a doctor's appointment or be my caregiver for that day, I'm already feeling bad. Mm -hmm. So when you throw this dynamic on top of now I'm feeling bad because she's losing, you, you know, you create another layer that just makes being sick. Yeah. Another Um, layer of disruption. Yes. In the system, in the system. Right. So we did a survey of 641 likely voters in Georgia In July of last year, and found that 75 percent of the Georgia voters favored the proposed law allowing workers who accrue sick time on their job to be able to use them to care for a family member. Mm -hmm. That's just 15 percent of voters who oppose that law. Wow. So, So
0: what kind of conversations are you having with legislators? Can you give me an example of some of the objections you've heard and how these conversations are going?
1: Well, the conversations, again, you know, are strong from the business community that they don't want state mandates telling them what they need to do for their employers or to their employees about paid sick. That's their discretion. Mm -hmm. They feel that some employees would abuse the system. And again, in my opinion, and that's all it is, is my opinion, if a person is going to abuse Five days of sick days. You have a, a, another problem other than them trying to just <laughs> right, beat the system. right. So, are these <laughs>
0: business people lobbying the legislature? And I'm I'm wondering if yes. you've if you've had specific conversations with actual policymakers.
1: Yes. And again, our policymakers that are strongly opposing this bill believe that this bill hurts small business owners and that it's the business, you know, owners that they're going to suffer for having to provide sick days. Or, you know, if you don't offer sick days, then this bill may not apply to you. Uh, We're not telling you you have to offer your employees paid sick days, but that would be nice.
2: Uh So it
1: doesn't hurt them. You know, you're you're talking about people that work in low-wage jobs that don't usually have these protections. But those that do, we're just saying across the board, let's get some help. And it does make good business sense to keep everybody working or at least paid so that they can pour back into the economy.
0: Mm-hmm. Is Georgia's legislature re- predominantly Democratic,
1: or is it Republican? I'm no, not... it's Republican. It's Republican. It's and mm-hmm. who's the Georgia mm-hmm. state senator? Uh, so the senator that is carrying this bill is Senator Renee Uncherman, and she is with Health and Human Services. And I believe, let's see, because we just, yeah, the bill went to Senate, so I think it's uh, Senator Butch Miller as well, may be carrying this bill. And I think if we're really going to make this a 21st century workforce, we have to understand the needs of the 21st century workers. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the messaging gets skewed because let's just be honest, a lot of times the caregivers for families are the working moms. Mm-hmm. So we're the ones that have to take the day off and we're the ones that are losing the pay. If we're in low-wage positions or in jobs that don't give us, we suffer. When the child gets sick, who really does give up the job and stay home that day? It's Mm. usually mom.
0: So tell me what you're doing as far as advocating. I know that you're raising awareness, you're educating the working community. I read a wonderful blog post of yours uh, in 9 to 5 back in December titled, We All Need Paid Leave to Take Care of Ourselves. There's a really lovely picture of you with your daughter, and – I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what other sort of advocacy work you're doing in terms of raising awareness around this issue.
1: In addition to uh, lobbying and and bringing more voices to the table, we are branching out to make sure people understand and know their rights in the workplace Mm -hmm. as far as Mm -hmm. the use of paid and unpaid leave. I'm also working with corporations now to understand what invisible disabilities look like in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't look sick does not mean that you're not battling with something. There are over 3 million people that live with some type of chronic disease yet we work and we have to work because we need the health insurance. We need that feeling of being human. So if I'm sick, And I can't get the time off or feel supported in my disease. I am at work, but all day I'm still thinking of my disease and my sickness. So where's the productivity in that? I'm working on those pieces of educating the employers Mm -hmm. about what that looks like. We have a problem with people who have invisible diseases, such as lupus, that are being required to go get doctor's notes. And if I'm in a particular lupus flare, a a lupus flare is very unstable and we don't know how long it lasts. It could last a day. Mm -hmm. It could last a few days, maybe a week. But if I am in a flare and this is part of my disease activity to have me go get a doctor's note for a one-day incident or just a matter of me getting some rest or adjusting my work schedule a little bit for a short period of time, is really taxing on the doctors because I'm now taking away time to, for someone who really needs to see him um, to get a note.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: this is just a lack of education of what this looks like. So I'm, I'm working on a big movement to define what invisible disabilities look like in the workplace.
0: Mm. How is this being received by various employers? I'm curious to know what your specific strategy is and what sort of Response you've gotten, even if you want to give me an example of a good response from a a corporate leader, or and and a not so good response, because these are difficult conversations, and you have to really strategize, right?
1: Right, right. I was at a particular grocery store chain here, big one Mm -hmm. here in Georgia, and I noticed a young lady in the deli was just she was alone back there, and she just was moving slow. And and Jenna, we just started a conversation, but I noticed that she was slicing. She was just really struggling with her hands. And I I just watching how her hands were just hurting. And I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'll be all right. I have to work a double shift because my coworker didn't show up. So I have to be here. I said, you're here by yourself? She said, yeah. And so I said, okay. I said, well, you look like you're in pain. She's like, yeah, my... My hands just hurt a little bit. And I said, wow. I said, I know what it's like to live in pain and have to work. And I thought, I said, because I live with lupus. Well, the young lady came over and her eyes filled with tears. And she says, I have lupus too. Wow. And I said, does anybody know? And she said, no. She said, I can't tell them. I have two small kids and I need this job. Hmm. I said, but you are now working a double shift and you're in a lupus flare. She's like, yeah. I saw her hands. They were all swollen. And I said, does your supervisor know? She said, my supervisor knows, but they didn't show up. So I've got to do it. And, I, you know, I, my heart just broke at that point. And I had the opportunity to be introduced to the president of this food chain at a, another event. Uh-huh. And I told him the story. I said, so what's your policy on invisible disabilities, mm-hmm. knowing that there was none? And his mouth just dropped open like invisible disabilities in the workplace. I'm like, yeah, do you know how many people in this building that you employees do you know that have lupus? I said, I'm just going to talk lupus for a minute, but I don't know who has a chronic disease. You may not see it on them. We see the manifestations of cancer. So you will say to a person, oh, take as much time as you need. Uh-huh. But when you have something else that you don't see, the challenge is not any less. I said, I can help you. I do training in that area. And he brought me over to HR and he said, um, she's going to train every one of our store managers wow. to understand what it's like. That's a
0: success story. Mm-hmm. And have you done the training?
1: We're in the process now. Okay. So I have done my first training. We'll be doing something in April. Um, so right now I have not gotten any pushback. The pushback that I suspect is that, you know, employers are going to say, well, hey, we can't service every sickness. I mean, everybody has something. And, you know, if we do that, how are we going to maintain a business climate? Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully everyone doesn't get sick at one time. But if you have a large population that is working with the sickness, then maybe you need to look at your policies on how you can be a little more flexible. The longer a person keeps working with the disease at a high stress level, the more disease activity you have. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a day where I'm not feeling good but I can come in in the afternoon or maybe I can telecommute some days.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's at least having the conversation and find out what works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're we're treating people as if they're just products now. That doesn't work anymore. We're not the product we are the people that drive your vision. Mm-hmm. So start treating us with humanity, and you'll get more productivity out of it.
0: Are there some companies that do a better job of this than others?
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, well, you know, there's been some companies that signed on for the Family Care Act and really do give paid leave and understand the needs of their employees. Uh-huh. And, uh The local employers that are really good citizens and provide family care days for their employees Our Delta does a fantastic job. The state of Georgia does a great job. Federal Home Loan Bank Mm -hmm. and SunTrust Bank are key players and really recognizing the need for family care days for their employees. And let me just say this, we did a study conducted by uh, Wake Forest University, and it shows that work flexibility reduces absentees for illnesses and improves job commitment. So workers are less likely to indicate that health issues affect their job performance.
0: It makes total sense. I mean, it
1: it really does.
0: So let me ask you about your daughter. Is she going to become an activist like you? And (laughs) what sort of work is she doing she's older now she's what 23 22
1: yeah Yeah. she graduated from duke university and Uh she is now living in new york and she actually is in the director's guild of america program preparing to be an assistant director for film tv and so my daughter because she has been at all of the lupus awareness days and all a lot of the family care act and nine to five things she told me, and she had got off work at, they were filming late. She got off at 3.30 in the morning, on a Saturday morning. Hmm. She came home. She slept. She got up. And then she texted me that she and one of her friends in New York participated in the Women's March in oh, New York. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's great. And so I was so proud of her And I said to her, I said, you had not had sleep. She said, how could I not participate? Uh How could I not use my voice? Uh She said, you know, I have seen you in days when you didn't feel well at all out there making sure that we had a voice at the table. Mm -hmm. How could I not mirror what you've instilled in me? And at the end of the day, I didn't do this to raise up a person that followed in my footsteps, but it is so good to know that long after I leave this earth, that she will continue in the work that is meaningful to me and mm-hmm. has become meaningful to her. Yeah. She's learned that you have to say something. Mm-hmm. You cannot sit back and just allow things to just develop. You've got a voice. You have the right to say something.
0: I have a lot of faith in her generation. I think they're going to I do too. really shake things up. They already are.
1: They are, and I'll, I'll share this with you just this past week. I went into the high school here in Georgia, and they have a law and civil engagement in South Atlanta High School down here. And I talk with the teacher, and 9 to 5 is now up until April. We will conduct training sessions on grassroots advocacy, how to use your voice. The students are coming to the 9 to 5 Family Care Act Lobby Day with us. So raising up that generation, voter engagement is so crucial if we're going to move the needle, but Mm -hmm. this generation is not just going to take status quo in business as usual. I think that they are really staking their claim and saying, listen, we're out here marching because we don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. And we don't know the key players. So we're just going to mobilize and organize ourselves. To get things done. Mm -hmm. They still need the wisdom of people like you and I that (laughs) say, okay, now after you march, here's what you need to do. (laughs) We're not irrelevant yet. (laughs) No, not yet. I think we can help guide them by listening to their voice and letting them create the space that they need to bring about social change Uh instead of us telling them this is what we've done and it works. That may not work for them and it may not work in this situation, in this climate. So let's help them to be more creative and be strategic on how they get to the table and get their voice heard.
0: Uh-huh. You must miss her, huh? You're an empty nester now. Yes,
1: I love empty nesting.
0: <laughs> you do. Oh, it's <laughs>
2: working really for you. I love
1: it. I love empty nesting. I, you know, that's another thing that I go around and I teach parents on how to really value the empty nesting syndrome, creating your next. So you live vicariously through your child, but now you have the ability to do things and dreams that you never thought of. And if they're buried, that's where the transitional and transformational coaching comes in. I help those come to life and help you to become unstuck.
0: And I understand you're working on a book now. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm working on a book. It's not yet titled, but it really is a lot of letting go of your emotional baggage. And there's 54 different uns. I'll give you the. The okay. top three. Unhealed hurt, unmet need, unresolved issues.
0: Huh. And when can we expect to see that in the bookstores? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I you know, I'm I'm working. I'm okay.
0: Working. All right. Well, the name of the organization is nine to five, the number nine T O five. What is the website,
1: Kim? So it is W to five
0: Okay. Do
1: you have any last thoughts? Everyone has a part to play in everything that goes on in their life. And circumstances, situations are going to arise. It is really important that we find our voice, our purpose, our plan in life, because people are depending on the legacy and the breadcrumbs you leave to follow. So we have to stop being reactive and stop being proactive. Uh, You know, my thing is regardless of whose butts in the seat, and I may not, you know, like Trump, for anything that as the man, but regardless of who's butts in the seat, my work still continues. So if he pushes back against the work that I'm doing, that means that I have to get louder.
2: Mm-hmm. That means that
1: I have to find another way to go in to get the need met because the need is affecting so many people that you're not going to come down here and see. They're not going to call you if things get bad. They're going to call us that are on the ground. So it's in my best interest to help them get somewhere. But at the same time, you can't kill me doing this work. The running (laughs) joke in my circle is that everybody's going to stand at my funeral crying and saying, oh, my gosh, she lived the life of lupus, and lupus took her out. And then there's going to be people that stand up and say, no, lupus didn't kill her. It was the work that she did trying (laughs) to get everybody
0: else. That's what
1: killed her. It wasn't a disease. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so empowering people to to do something Uh, i have a very close friend that just calls every other day with this and we've been friends for 20 something years and i said do not call me again unless you first your first conversation is that you picked up the phone and called somebody down at the capitol if you can't call a senator or a house rep don't call me wow i'm not hardcore so you you (laughs) have to do stop calling me telling me this You call them. That's a great throwdown. Yeah. You've got to empower people, push it back on them. No one wants to own anything. Right. People don't want to be held accountable anymore. And now we're seeing the trickle down effect where we've done a poor job and holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. So now when you demand accountability, you're getting all this pushback and they're telling you, you don't have the right to ask for anything to be accountable because we've been doing it this way for so long.
0: Right. Well, I'm a glasses-half-full person, so I I see this as an opportunity, not a
1: crisis. We can no longer be the ostrich. The time has come for us to get out of the ostrich mentality because either you're going to hear my voice or see my ass.
0: Kim Schofield. She's a woman with a mission. She's a transformational coach and a leadership trainer. She's a lupus health advocate, and she's a national and local spokeswoman for Family Care Act in Georgia. Kim, you are such an inspiration. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy, so
1: thanks so much. Thank you. We so much value everything that you do, and we could not do this without voices like yours. Oh, thank you. I thank you for this opportunity. Oh, my
0: pleasure. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Have a great day. You too. All righty. Thank you. Bye bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. The AgeWise podcast is distributed nationally on the Speak Up Talk radio network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.